that we would open our hearts, that we would open our minds, that we would open our eyes, Lord, to be able to see and hear and understand what you have for us. We hope and pray, Lord, that we would leave this place different than the way that we walked in, that you would impart something, implant something, Lord God, that you would grow something in us that we know is from you. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This scripture, this scripture is about knowing that there's a God, but choosing to live as if there isn't. Let me say that again. You read through the scripture, what it says is, God has manifested himself. We know there's a God. You walk outside this morning and you saw rain falling from heaven, you know where it came from. You see the sun in the, in the sky, you feel its rays. You go to the grocery store and we buy fruit that grew on a tree. We know that there's a God and he's shown himself to us, but we choose oftentimes to live as if there isn't. That's what this scripture is talking about. Getting to a point where we no longer feel God, where we no longer see God, and we no longer hear God. You know, we, we look at our kids and, and sometimes we discount or disregard what they say when they say things about God, things about the Spirit, things that they feel, things that they've seen, and we act as if you just don't know anything, you're too young. We heard a story yesterday from one of our uh, young women who said, I believe it was around 10 years old that she gave her life to the Lord. It said that she went through some things and got far from God, but she always felt him. She always knew he was there. She could still hear his voice and eventually called her back into true repentance and true commitment. Yet with our kids, sometimes when we see them at 9, 10 years old talking about loving God and wanting to be baptized, we tell them, hold on, you don't really understand what that means. Maybe we don't understand what that means, right? We need to be able to hear his voice. The title of the message this morning is, In One Ear and Out the Other. If you're taking notes, you can write it down. In one ear and out the other. Matthew 13, 43 says, The righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus said this so many times in the scriptures. If you read through Revelation, uh, uh, it would say, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Listen to what the Spirit is speaking. Open your ears. God is trying to tell us something. Jesus says it himself. If you have ears to hear, here, listen to me. Don't just read, right? Don't just listen, but actually hear what it is that God's trying to say. I don't know if you guys remember that movie. Uh, last, last time uh, Von Zell was here, I think he did some, some Rosie Perez, but we ain't going to do that today. But same movie. <laughs> same movie, White Men Can't Jump. And I don't remember, you remember when Wesley Snipes was trying to tell uh, Woody Harrelson that he couldn't hear Jimmy? Man, you guys got to watch more movies. Woody Harrelson was like, man, I, I love Jimi Hendrix. He's like, nah, but you can't hear Jimi. He's saying, you, you just can't hear him. You can listen, but you can't hear. There's a lot of people who listen to the word of God. They listen to preaching, but they don't hear God. They don't hear God actually speaking to them. The difference between listening and hearing, right? Story I want to share with you. It's kind of our, our theme story. If, you're, if you have your Bible, you can turn there. It should come up for you. It's 1 Samuel chapter 3. We're going to talk about being able to hear God. 1 Samuel chapter 3, when you get there, say amen. If you're not going, just say, I'm not going. <laughs> I'm just kidding. 1 Samuel chapter 3, starting from verse 1, it says, Then the voice Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. Say rare. rare. There was no widespread revelation. And it came to pass at that time when, while Eli was lying down in his place, 
And when his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not see, and before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down, that the Lord called Samuel. And he answered, Here I am. So he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. So here's the picture. Um, Samuel's a young boy, a young man, and Eli is the priest. Uh, Samuel hears a voice calling him. He says, here I am. He runs to Eli and says, here I am. You called me. And he said, verse 5, and he said, I did not call you. Lie down again. And he went and laid down. Then the Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel rose, went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. He answered, I did not call you, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. Then he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you did call me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be, if he calls you, that you must say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Not your servant is listening. Your servant hears. So Samuel went, laid down in his place, and the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel, had to call him twice. That's when you know you're in trouble, right? Your parents say your whole name or they call you twice. Samuel, Samuel, and, he sa- and Samuel answered, speak for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I will do something. Stop there. How many of you want the Lord to do something in your life? Amen? You know where it starts? (laughs) Hearing him. There's no miracle that's just going to happen. You're not going to walk out of your house to your car and there's a miracle presence sitting there. You're not going to wake up in the morning and something that God wanted to do is just going to be done. He speaks to people. He is in relationship with you. The same way we're in other relationships, we talk to each other. We're starting to have other forms of communication that are not as effective as talking, like text message and email where things get lost in translation. We're getting further and further away from actually communicating with one another. But God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He wants to talk to us. He wants us to hear his voice. And then he wants to do something in our lives. We've got three things that I believe that we need to do if we want to hear from God, if we want to grow in God. The first is we've got to grow up. Say grow up. We have to leave behind, even spiritually, our parents, and we have to develop our own faith and accountability. We don't, we don't, we should not aspire to be a secondhand message type of Christian. Where everything you know of God, you hear secondhand. Everything God does in your life, he's doing secondhand. Everything that you feel, uh, the power of God through ministry is because somebody else's ministry. We've got to grow up, have our own walk with God, hear God for ourselves, be accountable to God for ourselves. Right now, my kids are all the age where... I'm accountable for them. I'm accountable for their actions. They do something crazy. They ain't going to jail. They're going to come get me. But there's going to come a point where they have to be accountable for themselves. And I look around this church right now. There's adults in here. Whether you know it or not, you are accountable for your walk with God. You are accountable for hearing from God. Samuel's mother, her name was Hannah, and she was not able to have children. She was barren. You read through the scriptures, read through Samuel. Uh, And what ends up happening is that she was barren, and in that culture, if you couldn't have children, you were just really looked down upon, uh, second-class citizen status, right? 
And she would just pray and pray and pray, God, give me a child. God, give me a child. And she began to say, God, if you give me a child, I promise you, I will honor you and give the child back to you. So God says, okay. How many of you have made promises to God about something? Look, you don't want to raise your hand now, right? <laughs> All I want to say is, you know what the Bible says? I won't even say it. The Bible says, be careful not to vow, because if you do vow, you better keep your vows to the Lord. It says it would be better not to promise him anything, and you don't have to do anything. But if you are going to tell him you're going to do something, make sure you do it. So many of us would probably be like, Hannah, God, if you just give me a child, I'll give it back to you. God, if you give me a job, I'll tithe. God, if you give me a relationship, I'll be faithful. God, if you give me kids, I will raise them the way they're supposed to be raised, and then we don't do those things. But Hannah says, God, if you just give me a child, I'll give him back to you, right? And then God says, okay. She gets pregnant. 1 Samuel 1.20, it says, it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and she bore a son. And she called his name Samuel, saying, because I have asked for him from the Lord. Now the man Elkanah and, his, and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. Man, stop there. Ray, close that down. Oh, no, leave that there. Leave that there. Good job. Sometimes I feel like I'm talking to Ray and you guys can't hear, but obviously you can. So listen to this. She wants to get pregnant. She's praying. She's trying to honor God. She says, if you give me a child, I'll give it back to you. And then it says this. The man of the house, though, is faithful. Every year he goes and he gives his, his offering and gives his tithe and he keeps his vow. Man, us men have a lot of responsibility for what takes place in our house. Us men have a lot of responsibility for how blessed the women in our houses are going to be. Is it possible that maybe her prayers weren't answered because maybe the man of the house hadn't been so faithful for so long? Who knows? What I do know is the Bible says that two become one, right? So I can block her blessings, she can block my blessings. But this man is going up, right? Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. Verse 22, but Hannah did not go up. For she said to her husband, not until the child is weaned, then I'll take him up that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. She says, look, I told God that I'm going to give my child back to him, and I am. But he needs his mother right now. We have, we have a baby in the, in the family, right? How old is Noel? She's nine weeks old, right? We expect pretty soon here you're going to leave her with the church. <laughs> No, but there's a weaning process where the mother has to be there. Gary has no chance of feeding this child. Gary has no chance of taking care of this child. There's a weaning process that has to take place, and that's what the mother says. Hannah says, I have to wean the child. When I'm done weaning him, I'm going to take him to the Lord. I'm going to take him to the temple, and he's going to remain there forever. She literally left Samuel at the church with Eli the priest, and he grew in his faith, and he was no longer connected to his parents when it came to his faith and his relationship with God. As a young child, got dropped off at the doorstep of the church and said, Eli, I told the Lord if he gave me a child, I'd give him back. Here he is. Isn't it interesting how a woman could, how many of you are mothers? Now, I'm not talking about when they're teenagers and you want to leave them somewhere. <laughs> when they're babies, could you imagine nine weeks old, bringing your kid to the church and leaving the child there? See, there was something in this culture that understood when you make a vow and a promise to the Lord, you keep it. We're not going to go that much further into the story, but you know the Lord uh, made Hannah fertile and she had like three or four more children. She just kept her vow, kept her vow to the Lord. 1 Corinthians 13, 11 says, when I was a child, say I. 
When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Growing in the faith, maturing as a man of God or a woman of God means that you have to just put away childish things. We cannot behave like children if we want to be treated and spoken to from God like adults and mature men and women. You have to put those things away. Samuel, at a very young age, (laughs) was disconnected from his parents. It's like, look, that time of weaning, right, that time of you getting everything that you need from me has come and gone, and now you're going to be with the Lord. And everything you need from here on out is going to come from the Lord. The Lord will provide. There's something powerful about taking your salvation, your growth, and your future into your own hands and depending completely upon God. It's powerful to say, you know what? My growth is on me. My future is on me. My family is on me. I'm going to put it into my hands. I'm going to take it to the Lord. I'm going to depend on the Lord. Wherever we go, whatever we have, it's going to be between me and God. But you know what a lot of us are doing? We're waiting for other people, and we're depending on other people for our growth and our salvation and our relationship with God and our ability to hear from him. God gives us a body, and he gives us a church, and he gives us encouragement. But at the end of the day, most of the things that God wants to do, he wants to do just between you and him. The story that started with with Samuel, it said what? That uh, there was not widespread revelation. God wasn't just talking everywhere like he used to and spreading his word and using Moses from a mountain to talk to everybody. It wasn't widespread. He was doing things individually and specifically with people like Samuel and like you and like you. Paul says this to the Ephesians in Philippians 2.12. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Paul's the the apostle. Paul's the one that plants the church, establishes elders and pastors in the churches, comes back to encourage them. But when he writes to the Ephesians, he says, hey, by the way, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Don't wait for the pastors. Don't wait for the elders. Don't wait for the apostle Paul to come back into the church and tell you how everything should be. You better work it out yourself. Go to the source. Listen, pray, hear God speak to you. Could you imagine if your salvation was dependent upon how much time I had? (laughs) That's crazy. I love you guys. I love the church. I want to read. I want to pray. But you know what? Sometimes I'm just tired. God says that there's going to be a a greater accountability for me when I get to the gates for what I preach to you guys and how I lead you guys and the time that we do get to spend together. But I'm so grateful that he doesn't say that your salvation is dependent upon me. Your ability to hear from God is dependent upon me. You can wait till every Sunday and Wednesday when you come into this place to hear the word of God and to hear it preached and proclaimed, or you can wake up every day like the Bible says, work out your own salvation by opening the word and reading it for yourself and saying, God, I love you just as much as anybody else. Would you mind speaking to me? Would you mind speaking to me? You know what will end up happening? You'll be sleeping, and all of a sudden you'll hear... Junior, Junior! (laughs) Samantha, Samantha! Megan! You know, I woke up. God did that to me this morning. I'm exhausted from our trip. I told the Lord yesterday, Lord, I just need a little bit of sleep. A little bit. Not even a lot. Just like give me like four or five hours at the most and just make it feel like it was eight. (laughs) Dead asleep last night, 3.30 in the morning. Vaughn, Vaughn! Couldn't go back to sleep. Been up since 3 o'clock. Asked the leaders in the church. They started getting text messages at 5 (laughs) o'clock. 
But God was speaking. I'm sending messages to the worship team. I'm sending messages to the leadership. I'm sending messages to the young adults who are doing the skit. And then the Lord's like, hey, they're probably seeing. I was like, I don't care, Lord. They need to hear it. Let's do this. But he speaks. It's interesting how things get changed in, in the church, though. Sometimes when you begin to hear from God, you get so excited about it, but you don't want other people to hear from God. You'd rather say, Lord, keep talking to me, and then I'll go and tell those people. But I don't think that's the way it should be. We should be rejoicing when somebody else hears from the Lord, when somebody else is waking you up with text messages. <laughs> Paul says, work out your own salvation, fear and trembling. I think growing up is exciting. I remember when I first got onto a plane, I was terrified. I remember when I went on my first mission trip, I was terrified, right? But now, because I've been some places and I've seen some things, and it's not just me, it's, it's God showing me things uh, on these trips and on these travels, I just feel supremely confident anywhere on the planet. Anywhere on the planet, which is, which is strange. I hope you can understand what I'm trying to say. We went to uh, Kenya in 2009 and in 2010. We went to uh, Suriname, which is a country over Brazil in 2007. That was my first mission trip. Uh, my wife and I went on a mission trip to Egypt. Our plane was supposed to land like 5 o'clock at night. We were supposed to take a, a, a shuttle to the place that we were going. Our plane landed late at midnight. We got off the plane, and I swear everybody in the airport was Muslim and staring at me. <laughs> Our shuttle was not there to pick us up, so we had to take a taxi. The taxi to our hotel was not 20 minutes down the road. It was like an hour and a half. I swear they're taking us to some kind of bunker somewhere. <laughs> and I'm trying to make Mary feel, like, comfortable and, like, everything's okay. I'm like, babe, it's going to be all right. Don't worry about it. And then I'm like, Lord, help us. Please. <laughs> Lord, please. <laughs> Don't let us die. <laughs> In 2015, we finally got to go on a trip that was not a mission trip. My wife and I and another couple able to go and just travel we went to uh, the first time to go to London and see Nicholas, um, went to Paris and, and Venice and Rome, and it was amazing, but we weren't afraid. We, we planned our trip, we got our hotels, we, we financial pieced it so that we had enough money to go, and, and there was no fear. And I, I remember specifically thinking like, Lord, look how far you, you've brought me from, a, from when I was afraid to even get on a plane to now there's nowhere on the planet I don't feel comfortable. You know why? Because it's your planet, and I'm not a child anymore. That's an example of just physically going somewhere, but what about spiritually going places with God where you could say, you know what, I don't, there's nowhere on the planet, nowhere I'm spiritually afraid to be because I'm no longer a child, I'm a man of God or I'm a woman of God. We gotta grow up. Say grow up. Grow up. Number two, you've got to live at the church. <laughs> Samuel literally and figuratively lived and found life in the church. We think that's crazy, right? I remember getting saved. I got saved into this fellowship, so we go to church all the time. There's Sunday church. There's Sunday night church. There's Wednesday night church. There's Saturday men's breakfast. There's uh, uh, Saturday women's breakfast. There's a Monday night discipleship. And I remember I needed it. When I got saved, I needed to be in church all the time. But I remember talking to other people, and they'd be like, why are you in church all the time? Like, do you really have to go every day? Samuel, his parents took him to church and literally left him there <laughs> forever. But life is found in Christ, and we have to be seeking life, right? We're not talking about just physically staying here and having a tent and living at the church, but I'll tell you something. I remember finding life in the church, and we have to seek life, right? 
Once you know where it is, you should be wanting to go there. I remember when I first started coming to church, uh, the first six months I didn't know God and I didn't feel anything. But after I actually got saved, I knew there was life in that place, and that's why I wanted to be there. Not to check off that I made two services a week, but it's like, man, I feel different when I go there. When, I, when I'm on my way, life is still jacked up and tore up. Something happens when I'm there, and then oftentimes when I leave, I remember, oh, yeah, I'm still here, and life still kind of sucks a little bit. However, I'm going back, going back on Monday. I'm going back on Sunday, no matter how I feel. Somebody texted me this morning and said, hey, pastor, I just want to let you know I'm, I'm not going to church, which I thought was cool because part of that is, is, is mature. You let your pastor know that you're not going to make it. But then the reason that he gave me I thought was, was kind of funny. I was like, okay, cool, but, but why? Is that because my wife may be mad? <laughs> It's like, hold on, man, hold on. Let's talk. But that feeling of, uh, uh, just so you know, that person showed up to church and so did their wife. That's, hey, man, you can praise the Lord for that. Because there's life in the church. All you're going to be is mad at home. You might as well go to church and be mad together. <laughs> Luke says this in, uh, in Acts says, this is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. It's talking about Christ. It's saying, you guys didn't even want Jesus, but now not only is he a stone that you didn't want, it's like, this one ain't good enough, let's get rid of it. It says, now he's the chief cornerstone. This line will not be straight, and this line will not be straight unless you have a perfectly straight corner to build everything from. And it's saying, you didn't want Jesus, but now he's the one that everything is built upon, right? It says, not only is he the chief cornerstone, but nor is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Saying salvation is in Christ. Life is in Christ. Anything you want to build, if you want it to last, if you want it to be straight, if you want to find hope in it, it has to be built upon Christ. That's what Luke is saying in Acts. We find salvation. We find life in Christ. And we cannot just come to that and find that life and be in that life and then leave from that life and go back to death. When I tell you this morning that you have to live in the church, what I'm saying is you, it cannot be something that you come into and you find life and you find hope here and then you leave on Sunday afternoon or you leave on Wednesday night and you go back into death. Physically, you have to come in and out of this building, but spiritually, you should be able to remain within the life of the church the life of Christ, the cornerstone that everything is built upon. If you, see still, if you still see a dramatic and drastic difference in the life you're living when you're in the church from the life you're living outside the church, that means you're coming into life and then going back into death when you leave this place. So what's the land of death? What's the difference between the land of life, the church, where we find Christ, and the land of death? The land of death is where the people in the world live who no longer hear God. You know, you saw that skit this morning, and you've got this young man who all of a sudden he couldn't hear anything. He definitely couldn't hear God. And that's where the land of the dead live. They live in a place where it's as if there's no God. Nobody's saying, Samuel, Samuel. Nobody's calling each other and texting each other about what God is showing them and telling them. Nobody feels God directing or redirecting. That's death. Leaving out of this place and nobody calling you and saying, you know what, I was just praying for you and your wife, praying for your kids. Hey, I saw the post that you put up. When I was gone in, in, uh, in London, you know how it is. How many of us have like 90% of our Facebook friends, we're like, we're not really friends with them. We don't ever really talk to them other than Facebook. So I have 90% of people like that too on Facebook. 
And there's this one young lady that I used to go to high school with, and I've had two experiences with her in the last 20 years or whatever it's been. One, I was driving down the 91 freeway, and there was a car broke down in the middle of the freeway, and I, I had a decision to make. I was like, look, I know I should help, but I, I'm on the freeway too. I got somewhere to be, and it's kind of scary to try to stop and help this person. But when I looked in the car, it was just a lady by herself and a baby in the back seat. Like, man, I got to do something. Somebody might be watching. <laughs> just kidding. But I did. I stopped, and I helped her get off to the side of the road. And I'm not going to tell you her name, but I was like, we knew each other. She was like, Vaughn, that's you. I was like, what are the chances, right? We haven't seen each other in a decade, right? Over a decade. That was at least five years ago. Then we're, we're, uh, we're in London. It's one of the late nights. Timing is all messed up. So I'm on my phone. I see Facebook. And, and she wrote a post about missing her father because her father had passed away. She said, it's been a while, but I miss him more now than ever before. And I just felt God just put a lot of things into my heart, a lot of things into my mind. And I just began to, to share it with her, right? It was three o'clock in the morning out here. So either I woke her up or she was already up, tore up and jack up. And she, she sent a message back and, and it was simple. It just said, uh, you know, thank you, for, thank you for always caring when you don't have to, right? What she was saying is, it's not like we've, we've been friends. It's not like we've always stayed in communication. But when we were in high school, she probably wasn't one of the most popular people, but I think I was always nice to her. When I seen her on the side of the freeway, God put me there and I tried to help her. When I feel that, that something is going on that maybe God might want to minister to her, you know what I told her in the message? I said, look, the hurt that you're feeling, your dad is gone. He's never coming back. I said, but the only one that can actually heal your pain is Christ. He's the one that brings hope into hopeless situations. He's the one that takes something that's a tragedy, and he will begin to give you uh, a reality that's different than anybody else can ever give you. I said, your friends will get a hold of you and tell you they care. Your family will tell you that they're going through it too. But nobody knows what you're going through except for God because he lost his son as well. He's the one that can help you. Imagine life, right? Imagine living in the land of the dead where that never happens to you. Nobody loves you. Nobody cares. Nobody considers what you're going through and tries to provide help that is actually capable of helping you. If you don't have that, you're coming into the church and into the land of the living, and you're going back to spend your time in the land of the dead. In the land of the dead, it started in Genesis chapter 2. In verse 17, God tells Adam, you got everything. This is the land of the living. It's the land of milk and honey. You can have anything and everything. You have dominion. You know what God told man when he created us? He told Adam, you have dominion over everything. It's yours. People now, think about what the world has done. You know what the first thing that people say about God is he wants to take everything from us. <laughs> That's why I don't want to serve God. I don't want to go to church. He's going to take everything from me. But when he created us, he said, everything's yours. You name the animals, live wherever you want to live, come in and out of the garden, and you know what? You and I will walk together daily, and you will hear me speak to you. He gave them one rule. Man, we're just the worst people. We break every rule. We only got one, and we break it. He said, Adam, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. He said, listen, Adam, don't eat of this tree. You know why? Because if you do, you're going to die. And then this land will become what? The land of the dead. Everybody who comes after you will be birthed into the land of the dead. Adam ate of the, of the fruit of the tree. Eve gave it to him. She ate it, gave it to him. He ate of it. And they did not physically die that day. You know why? Because it was a spiritual death that took place that day. Spiritually, they died and they were separated from God. 
When you come into the church and you find Christ the cornerstone, you are born again. That's what it means to be born again. You find life that you didn't have before. The church is a body of believers that fill this place. It's not the building. It's us. And when we come into this place, we are the church. And there's life in the church because there's life in us. We used to live in the land of the dead, and now we live in the land of the living. That's life. Our members don't physically live here, but I think one thing we're beginning to understand is that there's life here. We bring life in and out of this place. People who are dead find life in this place, and it matters whether or not you're here. It matters to the rest of us. If we want to really hear all that God has to say to us, I, I believe this with all my heart. I'm not saying this because I'm a pastor. I'm not saying this because I want you guys to, to fill the seats. I believe that we have to be all in. I don't, I don't think a relationship with a church, with a body of believers, is something that you should take lightly and kind of be like, you know, kind of like this, kind of like that. I believe you should be all in. This is the place life is. I didn't make the rules. In the beginning, when Moses had uh, uh, the two million plus come out of Egypt, God said, all right, we're going to have church. We're going to make a tabernacle. Everyone's going to live around the tabernacle, and then we're all going to come into the tabernacle. And he said, what? My presence is going to be there. Yes, I'll still speak to people. Yes, I'll still do that one-on-one -on -one thing, but I will have a body, a group of people that I come into fellowship with. I didn't make that up. Go through Exodus. Read it for yourself. Why would you not want to be committed to that if that's the place God says you can find life? And not just this one. I tell people all the time, if this ain't your church, it's okay, but you better find one. Find a body of believers that you can be connected to, that surgery can be performed on you, that, that when you don't hear, you can be able to hear. All right? So that when you get sent back out of the building, you don't just fellowship with three or four people who don't have life and don't want to help you and can't help you if they wanted to. It's not a condemnation upon our old friends and our old family. You know why? Because we used to be there too. I look back and on all the friendships and relationships that I had before giving my life to Christ, I didn't do anything good or lasting in anybody's life. We had a lot of fun, but it was fleeting. We were close and bonded and we were tight and getting tattooed together and everything, right? But none of that gave life to them and none of that gave life to me. I could say that I love them, but I love them with a, a love that, that is actually death because it doesn't have God involved in it. So many of those same friends that I led into getting high the first time. I'm the one that hooked, up with the, with the, uh, uh, hooked them up with the girl that they got pregnant, and now there's a child that doesn't have a father and doesn't have a home. I did those things, but we called it love. It's death. I'm not condemning them. I used to be involved in that, but that's what salvation does. He says, you're forgiven for everything that you've ever done, and you're called out of darkness and death and into the marvelous light. Man, the church is a wonderful thing, isn't it? So here's another thing. There, there's a communal blessing for those who live and breathe with the church. It's not just some people are blessed. Because you're part of the crew, because you're part of the gang, because you are guilty by association, because you're affiliated with us, when one gets blessed, everybody gets blessed. Numbers chapter 11, verse 24. Moses went and told the people the words of the Lord. He gathered the 70 men of the elders of the people, placed them around the tabernacle. Then the Lord came down in the cloud. Think about that. The men... Say men. men. God, men, we got to serve God. The men are gathered, the leaders, the elders, 70 of them. They're around the tabernacle surrounding the people of God, right? 
Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took the spirit that was upon Moses, placed the same upon the 70 elders. And it happened when the spirit rested upon them that they prophesied, although they never did so again. Moses was going up and down the mountain, seeing God. God was moving. God was speaking. He'd speak to all the people. Then it says this particular time, because they were together, all 70 got the same spirit that was upon Moses when upon all 70, they all began to prophesy and speak about what God was going to do and encourage one another. And then listen to this. Verse 26. But two men, say two. Man, there's always a couple. Looking at some of you guys. Two men remained in the camp. They didn't go to the tabernacle. They remained in the camp. The name of one was Eldad and the name of the other, Medad. And the spirit rested upon them. Now they were among those listed, but who had not gone out, of the, out to the tabernacle, yet they prophesied in the camp. Listen to the communal blessing. Everybody who is part of the church and in the church and goes, they hear the word, they feel the spirit of God, they worship, they give, and the spirit moves through all of them. But there's also two who couldn't make that service. You ever not made a service? (laughs) Right? You couldn't make it. You didn't make it. (laughs) But you know what it's saying? It's saying that your life is connected to the church still. Your heart is connected to the church still. Your blessings are connected with the church still. So it says not only in the 70 and everybody in the tabernacle that was there, the two that didn't make it that day, it says the same spirit that was on this part of the body uh, was upon them as well, and they prophesied back in the camp. What is church to you? To be honest with you, I didn't get saved and start coming to church to do what, what a lot of people think church is. Let's go in there and fake the funk. Let's go in there once a week, get our little dose of the Holy Ghost, Right? Let's make it look like we're saved and that we're Christians. Let's post a, f- a few cool things on Facebook. Nah, man, I want life. I want hope. I want joy. I want connection. I want prayer. I want relationship. I want new members' dinners where we actually fellowship with each other and eat and actually talk to each other more than, hey, girl, what's up, dude? How you doing? It's good to meet you. See you next week. I want communal blessings. Last one, and I'm going to let you go. We have to hear the voice of truth, all right? We got to grow up. We've got to live at the church and live in the church, and then we have to hear the voice of truth. John 18, 38, during the crucifixion, Pilate says to Jesus, are you a king then? Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born and for this cause I've come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Say truth. Then Jesus says this, what I think is maybe one of the most amazing statements. Everything he says is amazing, but this one to me is right up there. He says to Pilate, everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? Jesus says, look, if you're of the truth, if you hear the truth, you're hearing my voice. If you hear anything other than the truth, you're hearing the lies of the enemy. There's no middle ground. There's no gray area. If you hear the truth, you're hearing Jesus Christ. If you're hearing something else, the enemy is filtering and feeding you lies and nonsense. When we grow up and begin to live in the church with the, with the life and the body of, of believers, we will begin to hear the truth internally in a way that's undeniable. 
I promise you, because I've experienced it, and I promise you because I've heard the testimonies of others who have experienced it. When you really have Christ as a cornerstone, when he's really alive inside of you, you will hear the truth in a way that's undeniable. You know that's not the pastor, that's not a friend, that's not that voice in your head. You'll start to know the difference between your voice and the voice of God inside your head. You'll find yourself catching yourself like, oh, Vaughn, that's you. Don't do that. You know that's you. You know what you sound like. That's not God. And it's undeniable. Many of us, we don't know the difference. 2 Peter 1.18 says this. We heard the voice, this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. We heard a voice. He said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Hear him. We hear God actually speaking to us. That's what Peter says in 1 John 1.5. It's, this is the message which we have heard from him, and we declare it to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. See, these men of God that were speaking, these women of God that were speaking, they weren't saying that somebody told us the story. What they said is, we heard God. We heard God. Heard him speak. Heard the voice. We know the truth. We know it was him. Man, I feel like we should be saying those kind of things more, not just to be saying, but because it's true. I heard God tell me to do this. I heard the voice of God. You'll also begin to discern what's true and what's lies from those around you. Now, this is when I think it gets a little bit scary. Once you start to hear the, the, the voice of truth, Jesus, it becomes very easy to discern lies. Like, people will be talking to you, and you'll be like, man, you are lying. <laughs> like, I, I know you're lying. Not just because I don't like you and I think you're a liar, but I, I know you're lying right now. Because the truth is so, like, impactful and joyful. I remember when, when um, my pastor used to get mad at me because he'd ask me how things were going with me and Mary when we were dating. I, I, I first got saved. I was like, she's the truth. He's like, what? I'm like, man, I'm telling you, she's the truth. I'm like, what are you talking about? Don't talk to me like that. I'm, I'm trying to tell you. She's the truth. And you know what it was? It's like, I finally have something that I can tell is different than everything I've ever had before. Like, I know the difference. This is real. She's for real. She really does know God, and she really does love me, and no matter what I do, she's probably going to stick with me. Man, pastor, she's the truth. I'm marrying her, right? You know what it's like with God? When you've been lied to so many times by so many people and so many things, and Jesus finally speaks to you and says, you are uh, important to me. You are loved. You are healed, and you are forgiven. You're like, man, I've heard the truth. It, it's easy to be like, man, you're lying. Stop talking to me. You're a liar. I don't want to hear it. You don't love me. You don't, because I know what it feels like to be loved now. That's dangerous. You know why? Because a lot of people would rather not hear God and not hear truth so they could continue to pretend as if they love people and people love them. Because sometimes it can be lonely. Some people will lie to you on purpose and intentionally, and some people lie to you out of ignorance. They don't know they're lying. Here's the flip side, and we're going to close. If you don't truly want to hear the truth, you'll never hear Jesus because he is truth. If you don't want to hear the truth, even if it's bad about you, how many of you have gotten to that place where, you know, you were trying to do some soul searching, you came to your friends, and you're like, hey, you guys got to tell me the truth about myself. What's really going on? But you didn't really want to hear the truth. <laughs> you just wanted them to think that you wanted to change. I remember going to my dad one time. It was like the worst day of my life. It turned out to be the best. But I told him, hey, dad, what do you really think about me? He's like, son, you're just not as sharp as you used to be. Like, hold on, maybe you didn't really hear what I was trying to say. I was looking for some encouragement, Dad. 
What he was saying is you're a pothead and your brain doesn't work properly and talking to you is like talking to somebody with no brain. I was like, man, that's not really what I wanted to hear. <laughs> but if you don't really want to hear the truth, you can't hear from God because he does not lie and he does not sugarcoat. He, all he does is tell the truth. So if you come to the altar and you're praying, God, speak to me, but in your heart you're saying, don't tell me the truth, you're not going to hear anything. What we need to be saying is, God, tell me the truth, whatever it is, and no matter how much it hurts, would you please at the same time protect me from being humiliated? And would you give me the strength to survive? Will you change me so if you tell me something that I don't uh, uh, want to hear and, I, and I'm not happy about, that you could change it so that maybe six months from now or six years from now, when I ask you again, you'll tell me something differently? That's how we need to come to the altar. During his crucifixion, Luke 23, 6, same Pilate, it says, Pilate heard that Jesus was from Galilee, and he asked if the man were a Galilean. As soon as he knew that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at the time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad, for he had desired for a long time to see him. Think about that. When you finally see him, you're so excited, he wanted to meet him. Because he had heard many things about him, and he hoped to see some miracle done by him. Go on to the next verse. Raymond? Oh, sorry, you don't have it. Who's got, I got a Bible. You ever wondered why I read from my iPad and then I have my Bible? This one doesn't make mistakes. Luke 23, verse 8. He wanted to see some miracle done by him. And then in verse 9, then he questioned Jesus with many words, but Jesus answered him nothing. Sometimes you got to search the scriptures. <laughs> Listen, Herod didn't want to hear the truth from Jesus. He wanted to see a miracle. He wanted to see some kind of show. He heard about Jesus. He said, I'm going to go to church. The church came to him. Jesus came into Herod's temple, into Herod's house, Herod's excited, like many of us are excited when we come to church, and we ask questions like, hey, Jesus, can you do this? Hey, Jesus, can you do that? Hey, Jesus, will you do that? Show me something. Show me a miracle. Do something in my life. You know what the scripture said? Jesus didn't say nothing to him because he wasn't looking for truth, looking for some kind of show or some kind of blessing. Many people will come in and out of church for years looking for a show or looking for blessings and looking for hope or looking for a, a marriage to be restored, looking for family to get help or to get hope, and they'll never actually hear God speak to them because they're not looking for truth. I pray this morning that we are a people seeking the truth. People seeking the truth. Can you stand with me? Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes for just a moment and see if you can see if you can hear the voice of the Lord. See if you can hear him maybe speaking to you specifically and individually this morning. He's the God who speaks. He's the God who intervenes. He's the chief cornerstone. He's the only name by which we must be saved this morning. In James chapter 1, verse 21. It says, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. Receive with meekness the implanted word alive inside of you. It's implanted. It's able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. 
For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. He observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed. This morning, heads bowed, eyes closed, we have to not only hear the word of God, hear him speaking to us, have it implanted into our hearts, but then we have to be doers. Something has to happen. I believe with all my heart this morning that some of us are hearing God speak to us this morning. It might be faint. It might sound just like a whisper. You saw the skit this morning where even after everything that happened and all the care and all the prayer, all the word, all the surgery that was done on him, at the end of all that, all he could hear was a whisper. But if it's a whisper from the voice of truth, that's all you need to hear. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. It's between you and God. If you're hearing God whisper to you something this morning, come out of the darkness and into the light. Come out of the land of the living, or excuse me, out of the land of the dead and come into the land of the living. He's calling you by name. It's not a group call. It's not a church call. He wants you. He wants you to hear the truth about who you are, why you were created, what your destiny is, what your purpose is, that there's life after this life. There's eternal life. If you're hearing that, the question is, are you willing to do something about it? James said, don't just be a forgetful hearer where you've heard the message. You heard God speak to you. We started off the scriptures. It says God will give you over to a debased mind. If you want to serve the creature rather than the creator, if you want to act as if he doesn't exist, at some point he'll let you go all the way deaf because he loves you enough to give you what you want. He gave you free will. Now is your time. While you still hear the voice of God, while you still have a heart that can feel, even if it's just a whisper, be a doer. Respond to God this morning. Tomorrow may be too late. Jesus says he has other sheep that he's waiting to come into the flock, into the fold, into the church, into the life. He says they will hear his voice and there'll be one. Heads bowed, eyes closed. If that's you this morning, you hear God speaking to you loud and clear. You hear God speaking to you in a whisper, but you know it's him. You know it's true. You know you need to be saved. You know you still feel the burden of sin on your shoulders. You know you're not the man you're supposed to be, the woman you're supposed to be. You know you can't do it on your own. You're hearing the truth and it doesn't always sound good. I'm here to tell you there's hope for you. There's hope for you. Nobody is so far that your creator cannot give you new life. But you got to do something. This morning, I'll just ask you to raise your hand, if that's you, to give your life to the Lord. Come out of the land of the dead and into the land of the living. I see you. Anybody else, just raise your hand. Amen, I see you. Man, God is good. I'm telling you, there's life here. There's life here. Read through the scriptures. He didn't save people with lightning bolts. He didn't save people with earthquakes. He would encounter people. They would hear his voice. He'd say, your faith has made you well. Go and sin no more. It was a simple conversation between Jesus and a man, Jesus and a woman. You have the same opportunity this morning. Anybody else, you hear the Lord saying, I want to save you. All I need is your faith. 
Last opportunity before we move on. Anybody else? Today's your day. Raise your hand where you are. Thank you, Lord. For those of us who are already believers, we thank God for those that gave their life this morning. But for those that have already been believers for some time, I want to give you an opportunity. I'm going to pray and I'm going to release the service. But I want to give you an opportunity. The altars will be open. We'll worship for just a few minutes. If you're here as a believer, but you want to hear God again, you want to hear him loud and clear, it started to get dull, it started to get muffled, you're starting to mix the truth with lies, you're starting to be easily influenced, your voice is starting to be maybe a little bit louder than the voice of God in your life, he says to you and I, all we have to do is repent, come back, he's a faithful father, he's here for us. If you want to live and breathe with the church, if you want that communal blessing that being part of the church offers, we want to pray for you. You don't have to roll solo. You don't have to be on the outskirts. You don't have to be uh, uh, outside of that life. God has blessings for you. We'll pray. And then for discernment. The last prayer is for discernment. To be able to hear God, know what he's saying so that you can just run Without fear, you could run without holding anything back because you know what? I heard you, God. I know it's you. I understand what you're trying to say. I know the direction you're pointing me, and now I'm just going for it. My prayer is that that, that would be the testimony of everybody who's a part of this church. So, Lord, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that we still see your hand moving, that we still hear your voice speaking, Lord God. We still feel your spirit alive inside of us. Lives are being changed and transformed week after week. You deserve all the glory and all the praise this morning, Lord. I pray over the men and the women who are here, over the relationship specifically, Lord, as we feel you guiding us, Lord, into marriage events and into uh, seminars and conferences, Lord God, that marriages would be blessed, Lord. We pray over their finances. We pray over their children. We pray that there would be more than just financial peace, but peace in their home, Lord God. That any argument that's a part of marriage, Lord, that you would be swift to come in and bring change and transformation, Lord God. We pray for the graduation of our kids from one class to the next, Lord God, that at some point they would graduate from being children into being youth and young adults, Lord, who have their own walk with you, Lord, that they're able to sustain, Lord God. Man, we just love you. We love you, Lord. We want to live here, Lord. We want to live here in this place, Lord. Not in the physical building, but in a place where we always hear you and always feel you, Lord God. Let all of our mothers be like Hannah that just drop us off at the church, God. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Give the Lord a hand. Hug on each other. Love on each other. We're going to worship for just a minute. We're going to worship, but you guys are free. You're released. If you want prayer, you guys can come. Altars are open. Otherwise, love on each other. New members, we'll see you for dinner tonight. Praise the Lord.